Hello, listeners. Welcome to another episode of Reckless to Talk, our TTRPG interview show, where we sit down with some of our favorite writers, players, GMs, and streamers to get to know a little bit more about what makes them who they are. I am, as always, your host, GM Nathan, and I am excited to get to play interviewer to a fellow interviewer this week as I sit down with podcast host, editor, game designer, and quality individual, Navar Seek Jackson. Navar started his first show, The Excellent and Conversational Interview Offering, The Secret Nerd Podcast, just a bit before we started Reckless Attack. And his show has grown from interviewing a handful of friends all the way to talking to some of the biggest names in the TTRPG space over more than 90 episodes, at least as of this release. Since then, Navar has branched into game design with his zombie apocalypse TTRPG, The Corrupted, a Last of Us podcast, Escape the Dark. He helps host Pathfinder News and Discussion Podcast, No Direction, and is one of the players on the brand new Star Wars Pathfinder 2E show, Unwavering Force. In short, Navar is a busy guy, but he is also a truly lovely guy. I have long enjoyed him as both an individual and creator, and really enjoyed his very personal and vulnerable style of interviewing. The space is certainly richer for having him and his show in it. In this episode, we talk about representation in gaming, just going out and doing the thing, discovery of self, vulnerability, making choices and results matter, doing what you can for others, and as always, oh so much more. Please be sure to check out links to Navar's work in the show description, as always, and please enjoy the episode. See you next time. Hi, Navar. <laughs> I just thought, you know, like, let's do a nice, cheery welcome in kind of to the Reckless Talk experience. Uh, hello. You. How are you today? <laughs> I, I'm doing well. Yeah, I am doing well. This is uh, it's been a good day outside. I got, you know, house basically to myself with my wife. So, yeah, chilling, chilling, chilling. And doing, obviously, the preferred activity when you have no responsibilities, mm-hmm. no one around creating content, right? Create, That's what yeah, everyone, <laughs> everyone craves, right? In, in yeah. these, in these exact moments. Yes. Uh, well, thank you for being here. For those who are listening, who may or may not know who you are, or just want to make sure that they know about the, the robust suite of things that you do. Could you please introduce yourself, your pronouns, all the projects, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, first off, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, I am Navar Seek Jackson. I, uh, he, him pronouns. Um, I am v- very much a podcaster. Uh, what started out <laughs> as one podcast has now become four. <laughs> I am the creator and host of the Secret Nerd Podcast, which is a show about people's individual TTRPG experiences um, and sort of their experiences with uh, nerddom and and how they those two things collide. Um, I am also the co-host uh, and co-creator of Escape the Dark, which is a Last of Us podcast. We just covered the first season of The Last of Us TV show and are moving on to the games and we'll be returning with season two in a few weeks to start game one. Uh, I am also 
a co-host of No Direction, which is the <laughs> premier podcast for Pathfinder news, reviews, and interviews. That is a recent thing, and we've done a few episodes now, a handful, and people seem to really enjoy it. My co-host, Esther, um, has a wonderful voice, and so folks like that. Also, my co-host, Indrani, for Escape the Dark, um, has an incredible voice as well. So I got very fortunate uh, to to share the mic space with those two folks. You say that as if also your voice is not also magnificent to listen to. <laughs> so let's 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 acknowledge that before we move on. Is that this interview is also about you, and I get to therefore compliment you, inter- you. you know, interrogatively. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, yeah, and then the fourth show, last but not least, is an unwavering force, which is a mm. Star Wars Pathfinder Two E uh, actual play which is my first long-form actual play that I'm a part of, and I am very excited about that. That'll come out on May the 4th. Uh, May the 4th be with you. Yes, indeed. And, yeah. Coming up. I also am a game designer, doing everything I can to get myself hired as a game writer and other things. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Navar, mm-hmm. you as an experienced interviewer, yes. you know, we can't just jump into the content. Right. We got to set the scene. We mm-hmm. got to build the backstory. Mm-hmm. We got to see how the character that is Navar got into the situation that they're in. Yeah. Uh, so how did you get kind of first introduced into tabletop role-playing stuff and or, you know, kind of general nerdery, depending on, on your personal narrative? Yeah. Um, general nerd stuff came first, for sure. Uh, I grew up primarily with my mom, though I think both my parents were nerds to certain degrees. Mm-hmm. But that said, like I grew up reading fantasy fiction for birthdays and for Christmas. A lot of that was gift cards to a bookstore. Uh, yeah. Hell yeah. Same. I read at a pretty high level at an early age. So I was able to like start reading uh, more advanced books pretty early on, which then became like everything my mom picked up to read, I was able to read. Or my grandmother had a really huge collection of fantasy novels. And so when we go stay with her for the summer, um, I could just devour those uh, while I was there. Or she would just send them to me if she saw like I had an interest in them. Yeah. Fantasy shows weren't really a big thing back then, and when they were, nope. they were ex- exceptionally corny. Like I was, <laughs> I was, <laughs> I was named after a character from a fantasy show, uh, fantasy movie called Lady Hawk, which has Rutger Hauer. Oh my and god! Pfeiffer, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and so Rutger Hauer plays this character named Captain Etienne Navarre, and he turns into a wolf at night, and mm-hmm. his uh, love. Uh, Michelle Pfeiffer's character turns into a hawk during the day. And so they can't be together. They're cursed by like some Catholic Pope or, <laughs> or whatever. It's a yeah. whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> Up until recently, my expectation of fantasy of like a standard of what's a good fantasy movie was very low because it just weren't made very well. Totally. Like even Conan, like it's all ridiculous. Everything. Yes. Um, so like <laughs> in, you know, pre like 2020 or whatever, like, my expectations I was like, yeah, this hits my expectations. Like, it's not Lord of the Rings, but it's good. Yeah. So, yeah. So, when Lord of the Rings came out, that was like, cool. I haven't read the books, but the, oh my God, you know, they're these heroes and they got swords and arrows and they're fighting orcs and all this stuff. And so, the whole scene with the uh, cave troll, whenever it like, yes. Yeah. That moment of like it slamming its club down and legless running up the club and like shooting at like that that lives rent free in my head like that's like these are the things that yeah i grew up with like i need to figure out a way to tell this kind of story and so Mm -hmm. for a long time that idea was i wanted to be a writer um which is something i still want to do it's just i think it's 
I don't know. I think anybody who's ever tried understands like how complicated and frustrating that can be to actually do. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, unless you're just exceptional uh, and good for you, um, I guess. And, yeah. Uh, whatever. Don't talk to me. Uh, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. So I think like that idea of I really wanted to tell these kind of stories has always kind of lived in me. As I got into high school and middle school, I really wanted to do sports. I had basically two older brothers, uh, one biological and one that was just like a very close friend who ended up living with us. And I still consider um, him my older brother. Mm -hmm. They both were really good at sports. And so I just wanted to do what they did. I looked up to them. And so I did the whole sports thing. And I still love sports. But it was a very interesting dichotomy. Like I grew up in a place that masculinity meant like you did all the macho like things, right? All the things that we talk about, like of toxic masculinity, <laughs> yeah. uh, those are like the re- that was a reality for me that yep. I had to grow up with. And so um, a lot of the stuff that I really enjoyed that didn't fit into that narrative was just stuff I just didn't talk about. I wanted to read at school and on the bus, but I just didn't take my book all the time. I wrote poetry and all this other stuff, things that like, which are perfectly fine and you can still consider yourself masculine to do. It just at the time growing up, it just wasn't part of that idea. And so that reality created uh, a sense of what is what became the secret nerd podcast of this idea of like, who were we when we were hiding from everybody? uh, And what does that mean? The things that I thought I wanted to do are actually things I don't want to do. It's things other people want me to do. Um, And what does that mean? And so like, it was a lot of like self-reflection and dealing with a lot of stuff to get to a point where I felt comfortable. Like, who are you actually, Navar? In working through that, I had a roommate in college. I had two roommates. One of them was my best friend who moved with me to Kentucky. The other one was a guy that we met out there. Uh, that he, the, the two of them worked together, and he would just leave on the weekends, and he would <laughs> we'd be like, I don't know where he's going, and then <laughs> like just be, yeah, as as what you do in college, just, yeah, yeah, they're gone. Yeah. I don't know. But it was like middle of the day on a Sunday. It was weird. But he had a lot of fantasy books too. So we like would share books together. And then some of the books he had were these D&D 3.5 books. And uh, finally he just was like, hey, like you guys want to come with me? I'm playing Dungeons and Dragons. And so we were like, oh, what is this? And started looking through it. And immediately as a person who grew up like wanting to be a storyteller, seeing this and how you could customize it, that idea of like, well, now you can play this game where you can customize basically everything about a character really appealed to me. At that point, I think the Eberron stuff had just come out. And so I was like really obsessed with the shifter and my best friend played a changeling. And yeah, I was a shifter ranger because uh, again, like going back to Lord of the Rings, like Legolas and Aragorn, like those were the dudes. Like that was... I want to do cool stuff like these two guys as much as like a fighter is always like a fun class. Like I'm like, no, I need to be able to be skilled with a sword and be skilled with a bow and arrow. Mm -hmm. And if I can't do those two things, I will not play this game with you. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I have a vision and I need to achieve that. I need to achieve that. vision. Yes, that is it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there's a lot of things like in that early D&D that I think like I subconsciously processed and then later down the road, like over the past few years have started to like unveil um, and sort of decolonize. But like, I think, yeah, early on, I was just like, oh, cool. Like, this is a character like that appeals to me, the shifter. I want to be a ranger. And these are the ways I I got to have like a wolf familiar, I think. Yeah, it was great. We didn't play it that long just because I ended up moving back to New Mexico. And it was like, mm, I want to say like nine years before I got to play again. And during that time, I kept like coming back to it. And I'd be like, hey, like, 
trying to get my friends to play games and they just, they're like, oh, we don't have time for it. Or we want to <laughs> play Call of Duty or whatever. And I'm like, ah, fine. All right. I'll just keep waiting, I guess. Um, <laughs> I, I eventually got to the point where I was like, well, let me see like if there's a way to play online. And then uh, I was like, okay, well, Roll20 is a thing. Let me see if that can work. And my first experience with Roll20 was like, I it was too much for me. Oh, it still is too much for me sometimes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm very much an introvert. So the idea already of playing with strangers, like I don't yeah. like to play MMOs. Like I don't like none of that stuff. I was like, I don't know. And then like you go look at the games and it's like, cool, we're going to play in this game. All of our characters are going to be like doing sexy stuff with each other. And I was like, no, I don't. <laughs> Strike, check. No, yeah. I'm good. Not for me. Like I just, that just seems like too much for like a stranger interaction. Uh, so I was like, no, I'm, that's, this isn't my deal. So then I was like, all right, I gave up on Roll20. And it wasn't until about 2019, I think, that I just really, really wanted to play. Yeah. As I was looking for like examples of how to play, I was like, I will figure this out and find a way to do it. Uh, I came upon APs and I was like, oh, okay, like here's Critical Role. And I like kept trying to find the beginning of Critical Role. And it was like, this is episode <laughs> one. And I was like, this, there's no way this is episode one. They're like ninth level. None of this sh- makes any sense. Like none of this is explained. They're talking about stuff that's happened that doesn't, I was like, this can't be it. So I stopped watching Critical Role. Um, then, I'm, I'm nodding along being like, yeah. oh, hey, it's like looking in a mirror. Cause same, there's no yeah. way that they're, they're just, why are they in this mountain and doing what? Okay. Yes, ah. It's so confusing. Which, I mean, I don't blame them. Like, they didn't know what they were going to be or what you – know, they just, like, asked to play their game in, on a camera. So I started to try to find, like, other podcasts. And it was hard because back then, uh, in 2019, before everyone started a podcast in, during the pandemic, there just wasn't a lot of options. And the options that were there, generally speaking, was five white dudes. If you're a marginalized person like myself or a person of color, like I think there's a certain point where it's like as much as like I've had to accept this my whole life, I do wish that there was something else here. (laughs) At that point, I wasn't on social media. I didn't have access to know about shows like Rivals of Waterdeep and stuff like that. Like it just – at the time, the podcast feed, it only gave you so much when you looked that stuff up. Yep. And so I was like, I am not listening to The Adventure Zone. I am not going to listen to NADPOD. I clearly can't find a show that's going to be diverse. So what if I just find a show that's got a ranger in it? If I can just find a show that's got a ranger in it. So I was like <laughs> on the internet, like, come on, find me a fucking yeah. show with a ranger. Back to the original distillation <laughs> yes. of what Navarre needs out yes. of a role-playing game experience is can there be a ranger in yeah. it? Because if I can't get diversity, can I at least have somebody shooting a bow? <laughs> mm-hmm. And so I came across Glass Cannon Podcast, which is yep. also five white dudes, to be clear. Uh, but Joe was playing uh, an orc who was a ranger. And I was like, okay. And so I started listening to it and I was like, oh, well, yes, these are still nerds, but they're also like nerds who like enjoy sports. And there's other intersections that I was like, okay, well I can, this appeals to me. Um, And those early episodes are a little rocky in some, in some areas, but I overall Mm -hmm. enjoyed it. And it became like a show that I stuck with to the end of their finale. And yeah, so as time went on, I was just like, man, all right, well, finally started getting some friends together who were like, let's all actually play. We started playing some games. I eventually started running some games. 
and looking for more podcasts. Dungeons and Daddies was like the one, the first like diverse podcast that I came up on, um, which is funny. But I also really, as much as I enjoy like a funny, like we're not actually playing D&D podcast, I also really enjoy like a podcast that's like, yeah. we're actually playing the game that's meant to be played. <laughs> Same. I Again, it's fun. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. I enjoy it. But I do actually like hearing people talk about the rules and how this spell <laughs> works and how it yes. interacts. And that's actually weirdly compelling for me. Yeah, so yeah. Same. exactly. Yeah. And the drama, like as much as I, yeah. Don't think I, it took me a while to admit, like, I really enjoy the the drama of, like, intense narrative role play. Mm-hmm. As time went on, I was like, man, I really want to do this. Like, part of me is like, I want to do it because of representation. The other part of me is like, I just want to, like, I think it would be fun to make a podcast yeah. where I got to be a player. As I'm going through this in my mind, I'm playing with my friends and we're having a good time, but my friends are not, like, major role players. There's a lot of times, even in our home games now, like, years later where I'm like, Again, y'all, if you listen to this, I love you. Uh, but I'm initiating a lot of the role play, and like, there's just a, not a lot of. Um, that's not something that they want to do. We want to have like fun fights, and, and totally. yes, there's a story to be told, but I think it's just not a major, major focus. Um, which is fine. That's not all tables have to be that way. Yeah, very valid way of playing. Yeah. So that idea came up, and I was like, well, okay, how else can I make a podcast? And at the time, I was listening to a podcast, What Now, by Arian Foster, who Arian Foster, uh, despite the name, is a black guy who used to play, black and Mexican, who used to play football for the Houston Texans. Mm-hmm. He's very smart, and he did a an interview podcast where he would just bring people on that he wanted to talk about, yeah. talk to. And so like he has like a conversation with a trans woman who is an activist. He has a conversation with uh, uh, like a, I think a black astronaut. Like he has a conversation with like different football players and Snoop Dogg and like all these different like <laughs> range. Of, it's really, really good. And so everything seemed like off the cuff. Like he just like, I'm interested in you and I want to know your story. And I was like, man, I really fuck with this. Like, this is so cool. Yeah. yeah. As much as I'm an introvert, like the one-on-one conversations was a <laughs> thing that I knew I could do. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, all right, well, I, I think what I want to do is have conversations with people around the idea that there are more than just these five white guys in the show. And what does that look like? What was your experience like? Because it's not going to be the same as that. And so, yeah. So then I was like, well, I guess I'm just going to try it. And mind you, this <laughs> uh-huh. is like, this is a Navar that has never been on Twitter, literally never yeah. been on Twitter. Mm-hmm. The only people I knew that I could talk to were the four friends who are episodes right. one through four. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and so it was like, not only do I have to see how well I can do this, I also have to go out and find people to talk to me. Yep. This was 2021 is when I started the podcast. So we had already been through 2020. And at, around that, obviously, we know like many podcasts started during this time. And many podcasts that started were actually diverse. And so I was like, okay, cool. I jumped on Twitter and Blackness and Dragons was one of the first shows to follow me. And I was like, incredible. This is an all black. Oh, this is fucking so cool. Yeah. <laughs> I reached out to them and I was like, hey, like, this is what I want to do. I like to, I'd love to talk to one of the people in your group about this, about your experiences. And I think after that, it just sped up. I became a little bit obsessed about the whole thing. And I I started doing too many <laughs> interviews in a week. I would do like two to four interviews in a I, week. Yeah, I remember. Like yeah. early, you were just churning through stuff. <laughs> yeah. And it was like, it was cool at first, but then I was like, okay, I need to chill. Yeah. Now I've got a backlog. Like, let me balance this out. It was amazing to get to know people that way. Joe, who is episode five of my podcast, is still somebody that I consider a friend. Like we immediately, like you can hear it happening in real time as you listen to that episode of us becoming friends and me like, <laughs> yeah. oh shit, like w- what if we just talked all the time and then like hung out? 
I have like 30 things that I was doing. <laughs> well, let's actually go back to the beginning <laughs> yeah. of what you said. But also, you said just <laughs> things just now that I want to talk about. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I apologize any amount of uh, jumping around <laughs> that, mm-hmm. yeah. that may or may not come of uh, of of kind of what's about to happen. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, <laughs> it's so, it was so interesting hearing you talk about how gaming stuck in your brain mm-hmm. for years, right? And you eventually got to come back to it, but it was always, always there, always interesting. Yeah. And then it was so interesting to the point of not just wanting to make content about it but of being like i want to be a player but i i want to be enmeshed with this so badly mm-hmm. that i'm i'm not going to be a player i'm just going to make a i'm just going to make a show and yeah. I make the version of the show that i am like able to make as a single person that of course is interesting and like i have other influences that are inspiring me to but for you and maybe the answer changes kind of across the spectrum of mm-hmm. of navarness but what about gaming and what about tabletop games? What like lit such a fire in you that you were attacking it from so many different angles? You're writing them, you're you're you know, you're you're doing interviews around them, you're a player now, you're doing all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Uh, so what's like what's at the core of that love and passion for you? I think it like if I were to like put it into one word, it's probably story, right? Mm. Um, I love the idea of creating stories. Like I said, I wanted to be uh, and still want to be a writer. I love engaging with my creativity in that way. In in so many ways, like I can end up being the forever GM, and I think part of that is just it's easier for me. Mm-hmm. As much as I love being a player, there is a real part of me that I have to tell shut up because I am yep. constantly like. Oh, like, hey, GM, I know, like, th- here's a great thing you could do for this character. Like, this is not my character. <laughs> I am not the GM. Just shut up, Navar. Yep. You know what I mean? Like, and, and I can't help myself. Like, I'm just constantly thinking about, like, oh, this is how I would shape this story <laughs> yeah. and help lead. You know what I mean? Yep. And no, so again, it, is, um, it is one mirror talking to another mirror <laughs> yeah. being like, ah, yes, yeah. that sounds vaguely familiar. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've I've worked on that. And I think I've gotten better. But I think that there's, that's a very real thing. And so, like, as a GM, like, that's what's great. Because as much as it is a shared story, the world and the situations are really built by the GM, right? And so that's a lot of fun for me to be able to, you know, create these situations, create these scenarios, set up stuff to allow the players to interact with it and build on that story that we're telling together. And I think like what I really love about the interview aspect of it is because it it is stories. Like I love learning about people, even if it's a person that's like, you only have a hundred followers on Twitter. Like you still have an interesting story that we can talk about and tell. And I think that that's so amazing and fascinating and selfishly. Like I think, first of all, I think if you're making up something, you should love it. Yeah. If you don't love it, I don't recommend making it. <laughs> yeah. And so mm-hmm. even if I didn't have, which I don't have a ton of listeners to be clear, but like even if I didn't have the listeners that I have, I would still enjoy making the show simply because I get to hear people's stories. It's a platform and people enjoy getting the opportunity to tell them, which I think is is amazing. Like I, it's sometimes easy, right, as an interview host to like, take for granted also what the other person gets out of it sometimes. And I, I don't think it's true for every person. Like I think there's plenty of people who have like, I've been interviewed a million times and sure. this is whatever. Totally. But I think there's plenty of people who are like, damn, like I feel like I do cool shit and nobody ever wants to talk to me about it. Yeah. And now this person's reaching out and being like, I actually want you to talk about this. Please yeah. go off. Like, <laughs> and like so, just consider any any dungeon master, how desperate or GM or whatever, <laughs> how desperate they are to talk about their campaign, but they can't with anyone. That yeah. is what you get when you talk to someone who really wants to tell their story in an interview. And it's just <laughs> yeah, glorious. It's the best. Sure. 
as much of TTRPGs has aspects of it that are sort of universal, there's so much of it that is just unique to each person. Yeah. Which I really love talking about like the aspects of identity and how that plays into um, TTRPGs because that really is like, for one, I think there are some people who are still working on that and maybe listening to somebody talk about their experiences can help them, you know, how, how this might look for them or how this playing these games can shape that for them. It's just good. It's representation. It's another way for us to hear about like the ways that we are still special, but also share something with another mm-hmm. person, right? We may not get to the end result the same way, but we still had a journey and that journey is important. And for you, and and again, you can take this however you want and how you however you deem most interesting. Yeah, yeah. Thinking back to young Navarre <laughs> with piles of fantasy books and and a library going through and all that kind of stuff, all the way to now and talking to people and making your own stories and and telling stories through game design, through all that kind of stuff. Have you noticed patterns? in the kinds of stories that you enjoy either telling or experiencing or or even asking people about that you kind of uh, speak to you for for whatever reason. For sure. So one of the things I didn't mention was that I am a kid who grew up obsessed with logic, the idea of logic, the idea of like deductive reasoning. Yeah. I didn't get like fully exposed to Sherlock as a character mm-hmm. until <laughs> much later in my life. But I did like have early experiences of like him popping up in other media, like Scooby Doo, sure. for instance. Yeah, as a cultural like figure. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So as a kid, when I first learned the word logic and what that meant, I was like, "Oh, this is the thing." Then why are we doing anything else? Which, <laughs> like, is a, that's a fine thing to say, right? But in practice, it doesn't always work. You're still a kid. You still don't have a fully developed like prefrontal <laughs> cortex. <laughs> right. Like, you're still going to screw up and have emotional reactions, or not even screwing up, but you're still going to do things in a way that don't that yeah. isn't logical. Yeah. But I think using that as like a sort of basis as a as like a life philosophy to help me like not only like live and enjoy life, but also survive in cases where like <laughs> I literally needed to survive. Mm-hmm. Logic became a very important thing for me. And so like learning that there's this character who's like super brilliant and uses logic and can solve all these cases and you know has this mind for stuff that nobody else has a mind for was something that I really loved. This is going to sound like a humble brag, but like, I don't know how else to say this. I've always really like totally. related <laughs> to characters who are like super, super smart and use that as like their superpower, right? Mm-hmm. So like Beast was like my favorite X-Men. Uh, Sherlock is in, like uh, the Vulcans in Star Trek, like things like that where I was like, okay, uh, this is this is a character that I love. So all of that to say, mysteries were something that I really, really enjoyed in terms of story. And the other was creative ways of solving problems. Yeah, As a storyteller, as a GM, uh, as a game designer, I enjoy creating games and scenarios and situations in which there is uh, some sort of mystery or a ton of tension and multiple ways to solve a problem in the adventure that i wrote uh that's on pathfinder infinite like there's there's multiple ways you can go about doing this one shot and i love that idea of like writing it in because there is to an extent like 
every table is going to improvise a certain amount of things. Right. I don't really care for the idea that like, yeah, we all had a different journey and that's fun, but we all still came to the same <laughs> result. Like, yeah. I'm like, okay, well, what result did you come to? Because I think that says something about like the game that you just played and having that conversation with somebody else and be like, oh, actually we got a different result right like that's what like appealed to i think so many people about like mass effect for instance um before they decided to do away with decisions <laughs> for, for most matter. of uh, <laughs> most of 95 yeah. percent of mass effect yeah. yes um but you know so like that idea of oh like if i do this thing then this has this effect or whatever i really really love that and so for me that became something of a way of how i can look at it so as a gm i'm like cool like I'm going to give you a bunch of different options and paths and you can play these out. And depending on what those do, like there will still be things that happen in the background and, and you can, you know, X, Y, and Z will happen, which I think does two things. One, I think it creates a lot of fun. I enjoy creating tension for characters and for players and, uh, and seeing the players sweat about like the scary goings on in the story. Naturally. (laughs) Two, it means that I, I, either have to prep a lot of scenarios or don't prep and be really good at improvising. And yeah. <laughs> uh, so more often than not, I prep like two or three scenarios and then I just hope that I can improvise the rest of the way through it. And then thinking of kind of the stories that you are getting from your guests on Secret Nerd Podcast, mm-hmm. are there any that you particularly either try, obviously knowing the the theme of the show, right? Mm-hmm. Of being like, who were you? In your like, you know, in in your in your secret nerddom, and yeah, yeah. what was the version of you you had to hide and that kind of stuff? Is there a particular kind of things that you enjoy giving a platform and a kind of space to talk about on your show, or is it again just whatever the guest brings and kind of wants to to talk about that day? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both. Like, I think like the benefit of primarily talking to people who come from marginalized backgrounds is that there's always like one aspect or another or multiple that we can talk about that I think is important to have those conversations around. So like, you know, like if you're a person of color, how does that interact with you being a nerd? Because in many cases, and that's one of the fun things I've learned is like some people are like, yeah, I've been a nerd since the eighties. Nobody gave a shit. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It was fine. (laughs) And I'm like, damn, that's awesome. Uh, That's not the truth for everybody. Um, (laughs) So yeah. So like, but I do enjoy like not only learning about when that comes up, but also like what places were different. I love giving people the opportunity to talk about like how TTRPGs helped them see themselves through like discovering their gender and sexuality through um, TTRPGs. Autism has been a major thing. If you go back and listen, like if you never listened to Secret Nerd Podcast and you started today and you listened all the way through the 83 or 84 episodes we have up now, if you're paying attention, you might go, hmm, this is when it starts. Oh, he's he's getting more clues now. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, to the like fully realize like, hey, guess what, y'all? I found out. <laughs> I am autistic. Um, but I think like that's like one of the really great things is like because there are things even about ourselves that we can have those conversations around that maybe maybe that opens another door for you. I've had multiple people like DM me or tell me like off recording of like, yeah, like this episode actually made me cry because it really opened my eyes to like this wow. idea of, yeah. of X, Y, and Z. And I think that that's really amazing. I, you know, episode seven, I want to say I had another friend on who was already a friend before the show. We were just like casually talking about autism because they are artistic. 
And I was like, yeah, you know, it's one of those things like I've always kind of thought about, but you know, they just like casually said like, you know, a lot of people don't realize it because they don't like have like fits. Like they're not like having this like big explosive moment. Yeah. And so a lot of people don't realize that they just have learned to cope with it. And I was like, fuck, <laughs> holy shit. Mm-hmm. Am I coping? <laughs> like, you know, and, and, and it really like that, that set me on that path of like, oh, okay. And then talking more to people about it, even gender. Like I am, I consider myself cishet. Like one of my friends in a discord server half jokingly was like, oh, I just consider you cis plus because like you've done the work to come around, like to really analyze what does masculinity mean? And you still came around to the same conclusion, but you've actually put in the effort to like figure out like, what exactly is this? Is this something yeah. else? What's the and what's the Navarre version of that? Yeah, yeah. That for me, like to hear that from somebody who I trust and respect, and to like look at this journey and this conversations that I've had, because in in so many ways, like me and a lot of the guests are being very, very vulnerable. Definitely, I make an effort to be very vulnerable on my show because I one, I am fine with it, and I think it's important for people to hear that. Mm-hmm. Two, I think it also helps as well. I still do it, to be clear, I still do it genuinely, but I do think it also helps because when you're vulnerable, other people feel like, okay, now I also feel like I can be vulnerable. And so we get to have a lot of really deep, wonderful conversations. I love that idea that I can have these discussions about the things that like make me cry and like the things that I love that aren't traditionally masculine and all of this other stuff and still be who I am and still have these declarative statements of who I am, but also like know that like, yeah, it's also something that like, I think everybody should think about, right? Even if you do come back to the same conclusion, there's nothing wrong with that, right? Like having thoughts about like, what does gender mean for you? Doesn't mean you're going to all of a sudden wake up tomorrow and be non-binary, right? Or whatever. Like it it just means that like you have a real critical thought about what does this mean? (laughs) You you have a thought. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And so talking to people who weren't assigned male at birth about what masculinity means when they also mm-hmm. consider themselves masculine in some way. And so like, I think like those conversations are just, it's hard to give that up. I, I enjoy all of the stuff that we get to talk about on the show. It's something else when people are willing to share that much um, and be vulnerable in a space and trust yeah. me to take care of them as my guest in, in that conversation. So, yeah. Just the whole time you were talking, other than, of course, I was listening to, mm-hmm. but <laughs> active listening. Yeah. yeah. I remember, and and this like just stands out to me, just like I think about it all the time, just like in my life. Mm -hmm. And I remember, and I don't remember exactly when it was, it was weeks, maybe months ago, but this is, I always hate saying this. You had a thread on Twitter. It's the worst (laughs) sentence any human being can utter when talking to another human being, but so it goes. You were talking about kind of your, yeah, your experience as an interviewer and reflecting on, on your growth, on your approach and just how you kind of go about it. Mm-hmm. And specifically, something that you talked about in this thread and that I certainly noticed listening to your episodes is that you are you are part of the conversation. Yeah. You very much are, you know, are telling your own stories and kind of bringing yourself to the conversation. Mm-hmm. Trying to relate through, you know, through your experiences and saying, oh, this vulnerable experience that you're having reminds me of this vulnerable experience and just kind of feeds into the fire. Yeah. And A, I just love that. And I do think that that is a really lovely, unique part of your show that you do bring so much of yourself to it. It also did really get me thinking, and you talked about it just now too, 
how has the experience of doing this show and doing having all these conversations, like you said, you're at like 70, 80, maybe yeah, 90 yeah. episodes, mm-hmm. whatever now, <laughs> yeah. depending on how many you've pre-recorded it's to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a lot. I was looking, it's, I, uh, wait, I have it open just for, just for posterity, not for correction. 92. I was going to say, cause we almost hit hundred. I just, I needed a break. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good. A hundred episodes is a lot of episodes. Yes, Breaks is, yeah. are good. How has the experience of doing these interviews, especially in the way that you're doing them, which is bringing so much of yourself to it, mm-hmm. treating it as real conversations and real human connections with vulnerability and with with fun and with all these other things. Have you been changed by that experience and how so, or have you grown or just what have you learned about yourself or your place in the world definitely uh have changed and grown from it i think like what's interesting is like when i first started it i i just did that right i just shared my mm-hmm. experience i didn't know any different and i think it was like you know the shitty part about being on twitter is you see so many different takes and i do remember yeah somebody basically complaining about autistic relating which is how i framed th- that thread that you're talking about uh, this idea that it's annoying for people to right. basically share their experience when you're trying to share yours. Which, to be clear, I don't obviously don't think that. Uh, but th- there are <laughs> people who do. There are people who Definitely. are like they either think it's annoying or they think it's self centered or et cetera, et cetera. And I think society teaches people that that is not that you don't don't do that. Right. That is yeah. that is all of these things, and it just yeah. gets more reinforced and more kind of like ingrained as I need to have a negative reaction to this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, when you start to look into it, you you realize that like people who do this, we're doing it because it's our way of showing empathy. Yeah. Right. We are empathizing with you. And the way that we know how to do that is by telling you a similar story of how we were similarly affected. It was an interesting journey because like that idea was not something that I realized until I saw that threat. And then I became a little bit self-conscious about it. Right. I asked a friend of mine who is also autistic, but I think we both found out uh, later, but she basically, she like produces podcasts for uh, like BBC or did for BBC and, and now for other places. Um, and I was just like, Hey, like you're a fan of the show. I appreciate your feedback and your opinions on the stuff. Like, can you like, if you're willing to like, what do you think of the show and things that I can improve on? And one of the things that uh, she had talked about was like, you have to decide, do you want to be the person who also injects yourself into the story or do you want to take yourself out of it? Yeah. If you want to do this, then that's fine. There are other interview podcasts that don't inject themselves as as minimally as possible, which is also fine. But like, it's important for you to understand that and and do that moving forward. And so that gave me a lot of thought. I went on other shows that with interviewers that I really enjoyed. And they would be like, oh my God, you have such a great interview style. And I'm like, that's, thank you. I don't, I don't I'm literally just doing my inter- this. Yeah. Thing. My yeah. interview style is uh, to talk to people. Just to exist. Yeah. 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 Um, and so, and then I had a, a fantastic guest, shout out to Jean-Francois, bonjour, mon ami. He mentioned in episode three, which was um, one of my friends, even though we played together in games uh, for a long time at that point, she was very shy and closed off during the interview up until about halfway Mm -hmm. through. And then almost at the end of the interview, she shared something really vulnerable. Basically, he said, like, this is my favorite episode because of that, because of the way that you were able to have this conversation and 
create a safe space for her, for her to, to be able to have this moment with you, I think it was incredible just to witness as a listener. And so I think like those things really helped sort of change my perspective of like, this doesn't have to be a bad thing. Um, it's a thing that I enjoy. Uh, it's a thing that's natural to me. People that I talk to seem to enjoy it and don't have an issue with it. What do I need to worry about some random person on Twitter and their opinions on this? They're very ableist opinions on this. So <laughs> what the show has done for me in terms of my ability to like navigate and be comfortable and help people be comfortable around me in spaces that are mm-hmm. are heavily queer and trans is that I've had so many conversations with folks about this stuff that I feel like even though I am not this thing, I'm, I feel like I can comfortably have conversations with people and know how to treat them, how to make them feel comfortable, how to like not be, not to impose myself on their space when it's not like this thing isn't for me, et cetera. Like, I think that that's so important to understand the ways that you show up in spaces and, and the power dynamics and the societal power dynamics, right? Like I have had plenty of like women and femme people on my show and like, it's so important for me to understand like this isn't a time for me to like talk over somebody, right? Or cut them off or show any kind of way that I'm like not valuing what they're saying. And so I think like all of these things, like interviewing people really does, at least for me, it really helps to frame that in my mind of like, I consider so much stuff now. Yeah. When I'm just talking to people out in the world, right? Like there's so much more about how I am equipped to deal with a lot of this stuff than I was before. Uh, during the show. I often really appreciate my own experience in doing it as just getting injected with so mm-hmm. many different points of humanity yes. that I just like, you can't help but absorb some of it, you know? So yeah. even if you're the densest, least aware person ever, you at least if you're just having these sorts of conversations with a huge, diverse amount of wonderful people, yeah. you'll pick up something, hopefully. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, like, I think like a great example of this is I'm going to pick on my best friend a little bit. (laughs) We live in the same city. He's social, but he's like work social. Like if he's got like friends at work, that's who he chats with. And like works in an industry that just isn't very LGBTQ friendly to say the least. For him listening to my show, I think I can see the progression of him like understanding like, no, actually like this is the pronouns that this person wants to use. This is the way that they wish to talk about these things. And like, so for him, like a lot of that is becoming, it seems to me like a lot of it's becoming normalized, which I love to see. Cause even if it's like him and I just in a car, right, I'm still going to correct him on somebody's pronouns. And I think that's so important because that way, whenever he's out in the world or I'm out in the world, like we are, we've practiced this stuff already. So it's, you know, we're not constantly misgendering people when we understand what they want to be called. I think that's a very important thing. Mm-hmm. You really do yourself wonders when you expose yourself to a lot of stuff because then you understand how people want to be treated and you get more in depth about like what that actually means to them. And you can see it on their faces and especially in the interview when you have cameras on. Always put your cameras on. You, I mean, always within reason. Some people don't argue right. with that. Totally. Cameras are good for conversation. Yes. I'm just going to say that. It is nice. We say yeah. as we are I looking at each other through <laughs> yes. webcamming. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So – Another thing, and and definitely this is my my kind of uh, guiding principle too for reckless to talk stuff is only inviting people who I'm interested in. Mm-hmm. If I'm not already kind of on board and interested in your stuff, yeah. I'm I, you know uh, it's not gonna. I'm I'm at least I need to maybe jump in and then witness it, and then maybe we'll talk about coming on. Yeah, 
So for you, again, having done it now for for 92 episodes, yeah. <laughs> what excites you about a guest? You know, like what is, is there something where it's like, oh, I've seen this person's work and I'm interested in this thing or just, oh, they must have a wealth of experience. Or is there something that, again, you kind of notice is a common theme for people that are really exciting that you're like, I'm going to shoot my shot. I'm going to slide into their DMs. I'm going to yeah. do whatever I need to, to see if they will be on my show. I think it varies so much. A lot of times it's like I watched them in a stream or something where it's yeah. like, oh man, that was incredible. Or it's like, this is my favorite show, like Transplaner, and I'm me trying yep. to have everybody from Transplaner on the show. <laughs> um, sometimes it's as simple as you were friends with somebody that I know, and I listen to something that has nothing to do with TTRPGs. And you just have a fucking cool voice and I want to know your story. Like my yep. friend Reggie, who like mm -hmm. is a voice actor who's like, he just started a couple years ago or last year and doesn't have a ton of like a huge following, but his voice is so <laughs> fucking good. And he's a really good actor. I don't care that you don't have a ton of followers on Twitter. Like I want to know what's up. Like I want to hear how this happened. Totally. I want to hear about like how you got into voice acting. And like he and I, like we still chat to this day. Like we play like a home game of the corrupted together. So. It could be any number of things. I think uh, the biggest thing, though, is like I want to make sure, at the very least, that like you're a good person, right? At least on yeah. you, you can you can you can never be perfectly right. like sure of somebody, but I think yeah. that's something I do my best to try to like figure out uh, beforehand. Yeah, and you do like something that I think would be interesting to talk about. Sometimes it's you know people who aren't on a ton of APs, but they just play or they write games that I think are cool and interesting, and I want to know about like how that happened for you. I feel like folks who are in the AP space, especially like the streamed AP space, not to generalize, but I think in some ways have an advantage when it comes to audience. Because if you are a performer on a ton of stuff that people are constantly seeing, it's just like you're out there. Like you're literally your face is out there all the time. Yeah. Even if you don't tweet a lot, you're still out there, right? That's something that I think that I deal with as a person who's like, I would like to have a fan base just because I want people to you know consume the yeah. things that I make. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah. if only for that like I want you to play my games and and listen to my show um because I enjoy making it. Uh but I also don't do a ton of performing. And so I am constantly like ah should I just do these APs just because it would put my face in front of other people and they would be like oh that's Navar's face. That's a struggle but I think there's other people who probably deal with that same thing of like I'm like yes I enjoy performing. I just don't do it a ton. And so I don't get invited to perform in a lot of places. I don't get to like, but I still want to talk about my stuff. And so like, I am constantly like looking at that of cool. Like you've made like 10 games this past year. How does this happen? What does this mean? Yeah. Like what's, what's the future going to look like for you? And talking to people about that idea of like, what actually do you want to do in the space? Uh, because not everybody wants to be a game designer or a writer or even a performer. Some people are like, I perform a lot, but I don't want to do this shit all the time. Like, I do it because it's fun. But uh, if you were like, yeah, what if I could pay you? You'd be like, mm, actually, I think I'll stay with my day job and just do this on the side. Um, and that's perfectly fine too. So I, I I just enjoy getting those perspectives, again, for for myself, for the audience to look at that and be like, yeah, I, I think that's really cool that this person is doing things this way and they still had a chance to talk about that. 
So you have your ideal guest. They've been booked. You've again <laughs> successfully slid into DMs or accepted <laughs> uh, accepted DMs or whatever yeah. you know whatever variety of uh, of, of coordination is involved. <laughs> We have talked about it, I think, certainly before the show and maybe during the show. I can't remember because yeah. we've already been talking about a bunch of stuff. <laughs> You've said that you're not a, you're not someone who over prepares mm-hmm. kind of going into to the interviews to keep it conversational and just kind of chase what's interesting. Yeah. But in either in term, knowing that it's not literally sitting down and like, you know, pouring over questions and whatever. What do you do to kind of get ready to sit down and have a conversation with someone? Even if it is just as simple as what's the mindset that you kind of try to bring and what are the goals that you try and kind of accomplish, if any, during your conversations? Yeah. um, So, yeah, like I said, there's not a lot of prep that goes into this. Uh, Generally, if I'm reaching out to somebody, I have an idea of the projects that they're on that I would like to touch on. And then outside of that, it's really just like I might like look at like, does this person have some kind of like intersecting marginalization and do they talk about that on a normal basis is that something that they even want to discuss the stuff that i'm already familiar with and then try to have like a cursory knowledge of the stuff that i'm not familiar with that they do schedule it hope the scheduling goes right try not to have anxiety about having a thing scheduled because that's <laughs> an anxiety of mine uh and then it's just go i go off of feel a lot in the conversation yeah if the person takes off with that thing then i'm like cool I know that I, there are these four other things, these projects that I wanted to get into, and then that's it. Uh, how, when we get there is fine. And that could be five minutes. That could be 30 minutes, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. So when it's five minutes, then it, that's when I have to get the most creative. Because some people are, like, are very just straightforward, and they just will say the thing, and there's not a lot of story involved in that, and that's fine. But it just means that as an interviewer, I have to really do more work to be like, okay, I <laughs> yep. need to pull more stuff out of you, so how yep. do we get there? I think the hardest ones are like when it's like a big name person, mm. I don't want it to be the same interview they've already done Yes, with someone else, um, totally. which depending on the person, like can be difficult. Your like ninth episode was like B Dave Walter or something. Yeah. Like it was, yeah. it was like, I think it was like 11, 11 maybe yeah, or something yeah. like that, yeah. <laughs> which is someone who's done a lot of tabletop yes. role-playing game interviews. <laughs> yeah. And that's an interview where I'm still like, I don't know if I, I don't know how much of this I got new for anybody, but it was good. It was a good experience to like really frame for me what to expect to a certain extent and how do how do we get there? What perspective am I bringing to this? Yeah. Or what question do I feel like hasn't been answered that I can attempt to talk to this person about, even if like the other forty five minutes of this interview is is things that they've already said before? Yeah. Right. There's always value if you are interested in talking to that person. I don't do interviews that I'm not excited about. Yeah. Like, yeah. and and I try to tell everyone who's on my show, it's like, you would not be here if I did not like deeply, deeply want to talk to you. Yeah, like, yeah, sure. I don't, it's not favors doing, it's just an excuse to get to talk to cool people. That's yeah. why I do it. It's awesome. <laughs> I'm not asking for like your favorite interviews mm-hmm. or you're like, oh, who was your favorite guest of all time? Uh, be- for a lot of reasons, because yeah. like that's, I'm not actually interested in that. And also that's an impossible, terrible question, it, 100%, yeah. <laughs> especially after 92 episodes. Mm-hmm. You started, I think it was like June, 2021, maybe July, something? 2021, yeah. July, 2021. Um, and what are those J, what are those yeah, J, 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 J names? Yeah, exactly. But 
Were there any moments from interviews or experiences from interviews that really kind of shifted something in your brain, um, either in the moment where it's like, ah, aha, or just that stuck in your brain or that you kind of look back and be like, wow, this is really meaningful for me to get to have this sort of a moment in the, you know, in this context or anything. Yeah. I mean, I think some of the ones I've already mentioned. Yeah. Allegra from Mayday Roleplay, who I love deeply. Wonderful. We had a whole conversation about like gentleness does not have gender. Um, that was an amazing conversation. Getting to interview both Connie and C, um, I think was another one. Like Connie was another one that I had already listened to multiple interviews by him. And I yeah. still was like, I feel like we were able to touch on some stuff that at the time they hadn't talked about. And it was, uh, that was a really good one. And then C, I think just came in and that was like one of those early ones that I remember where we just got like really deep into some stuff and it was just like an amazing like walking away from that being like fuck that was so like good yeah. and vulnerable and just <laughs> such a great conversation <laughs> Zakia also from Mini Roleplay was another great moment that was another like Navar's realizing he has autism moments uh, <laughs> um, Quinn Murphy he was the first person I think to convince me that I could be a game designer because he like, he was like, and this discourse happened literally like a week ago in TTRPG Twitter. Oh, uh, but basically he was yep. just like, look, if you're a GM, you're already game designing. And I think was the first black game designer that I had talked to, um, which was really impactful for me to be able to like, yeah, sort of see it and believe it and understand like, oh, like, yeah, this is something that I can do. And then Quinn ended up, you know, becoming like a mentor for me through game design, and uh, which was a really incredible experience. God, but there's so many. Like, yeah, I think like I've had a really big slew of like... Right, uh, it's, it's uh, impossible. Yeah, really. Josephine, um, <laughs> who became many. like yep. a really close friend of mine, who was also on my Corrupted stream recently. Incredible. Uh, yeah. But there's a lot of like little moments and then like full-on conversations and I'm like, this is going to live with me forever. Like I... Totally. Like, Maybe you have this too of like, there are comfort episodes where I'm like, mm. I, mm -hmm. I just want to go back and listen to this again. I know exactly yeah. what's going to happen in this conversation, but like just everything about it, like the vibes are perfect. And that's, uh, yeah, I, I really love that. Yeah. For me, it's very like, um, it, it is like I captured that moment, that vulnerability or like mm -hmm. I had that connection yes. and it's like, and, and I, I am someone who I usually hate the sound of my own voice. Mm. I hate re-listening to stuff that I've done because it's just too much anxiety yeah. just churning away. And there are definitely a few where it's like, yeah, but I did crush that episode and that was really nice and lovely and makes me very happy. <laughs> yeah. uh, and it makes me happy to think about and listen, re-listen to for sure. So yeah. So I do want to pivot a little into into your game design work specifically yeah. into uh, the corrupted. But I was curious, just kind of as we pivot that direction, you've mentioned this a few times of how you were discouraged from kind of pursuing too much of your nerdy passions growing mm -hmm. up, and or weren't able to chase it just because yeah, yeah. for many years no one around you was <laughs> was <laughs> yeah, interested yeah. in playing them. Even just recently, talking about being able to see people who um, who are doing things that you enjoy and that you're interested in, who share experiences or share kind of perspectives. Is that something that you have taken to heart kind of during your during your interview experience of being able to, again, kind of be exposed to so many people who are doing so many things from so many different perspectives? And has that is that part of what is kind of driving you now being a host of 
for podcasts and creating a, a game and also writing adventures and like now doing a full broad spectrum of yeah. tabletop and performing and, you know, GMing and all kinds of stuff. It's something that I think about a lot. Like I uh, recently, like one of the like few tweets that I've had, like blow up was like talking about like what uh-huh. what what does it mean to like what is your presence like in the space and i talked yes. about like i'm not well known but I, I feel like i'm beloved and i think that idea around what it means to like make impact in the space right yes even if it's a small impact i think yep. has been really important to me talking about quinn murphy like quinn talked about like there for for him there there wasn't like a mentor for him to have yep. like, when he was younger what would it mean for somebody to listen to mm-hmm. my show or to see me achieve a thing or or for me to offer up help, right, and help them? I still do this because I love it and be, and for me, but I also think that there can two things can be true. And I think that while yes. I am doing that for me, I think that there is this other aspect of it that I feel if I can give something back in whatever way that I can, then I will happily do that. There's been a lot of people who, like, I think probably never expected that have been like, oh, I want to try this thing out. And I'm like, yeah, like, let me help you. Like, if you want my help, Mm -hmm. I will help you. That idea of being there for other people when you can and you have the spoons for it, like, I think that that's something great. Like, I recently talked about, like, one of the things I really want to do is create a program where marginalized creators who have a podcast can Get the equipment they need to make their podcast sound good because not everybody feels this way. I'm learning this as a person who edits to some degree four (laughs) different shows. Not everybody cares about the way audio sounds. Um, (laughs) And that's fine. There are certain sounds for me that I just, I will not listen to. And so it's very hard for me, even if your content is good, if the audio doesn't sound good, I personally cannot listen to it. I just, I struggle. And so... I don't want that to be a barrier for other people who already have other barriers in front of them. So like if we can mitigate this one thing, uh, how do we do that? And I was saying this as like a thing of like when I'm a rich game designer, right? Like this (laughs) was the subtext. When Navarre is a rich game designer someday. Who has also won the lottery and also (laughs) has, you know, really invested well. (laughs) I don't even think it has to be that serious. Like like we're talking about like seven, $10,000 max a year. Right. I literally saw that tweet and liked it. And I saw you, yeah, you estimated some amount of money. And I yeah. like, I Googled it. I, we were, cause we were also kind of like putting together some documents of like resources, of like, hey, here's what bikes cost and here's yeah. that sort of thing. And was like, yeah, that's about right. That's, yeah. you know, it's, it's not crazy. It's not crazy, but is inaccessible for many. Yes, 100%. And so like, to me, I think because I'm so independent, like I don't ever think about like, hey, what if you just like worked with a bunch of people on this thing? Uh, so I'm just like, I'm just like, I sometimes I think we should just talk about our dreams and make them dream, like make them not dreams, right? And so yeah. I was like, this is the thing I want to do. And I, I'm saying this a little bit as like, I hope that it happens because I think it's important. And I also would like to like remind myself of this one day and like mm-hmm. be accountable to it. I had people like be like, hey, well, what if we actually did it this way and just like do it? Yeah. So now like this is a thing that might be in place pretty soon oh, yes. in a different way than I originally anticipated, but still with the same goal and intent um, and still doing the same service to the uh, TTRPG space, which I think is amazing. We got to really think about like how much of an impact it can make. God, there's been times where I've like 
I made like $60 with ads or whatever on my, and I'm like, I don't, like I could buy a video game or I could like, is there somebody that could fucking just use a good mic? You know what I mean? Like how could, or, or Reaper, right? As a better, then yep. stop, please stop using Audacity. <laughs> please. I am begging everyone. Stop using Audacity and stop recording in Discord. Please. <laughs> I'm just nodding silently. I'm like, you know, doing like the sign of the cross of, yep. Absolutely. If you don't have a choice, you don't have a choice. And I get that 100%. Yep. Do what you can with what you're able to afford, but also. Let me know and I will help you find a way. How do we improve and how do we bring other people along with us, right? Because a lot of people say like a rising tide raises all ships, but like that's not true. It's true if you make it true. Yes. It's something you have to be active about. You can't be a passive uh, in that role. I am a person who is a family man. I've got three kids and a wife. Like I don't have excessive funds, right? I don't have a ton of free time. I don't even have a ton of like energy to do social stuff. But can I come up with an idea and help on a panel and you know what I mean? Like help like do something. Bring people together. Like that's a thing that I can contribute. And I think if we look at the more of what we can do as individuals to contribute, then I think that that helps. And, you know, and be kind to yourself. Like don't overdo it. And if you don't have the time for it or the spoons, like that's that is perfectly fine. We should all be able to have our limits and our energy to like take on what we can take on. And I don't think anybody should be forced to do anything. I was going back and forth and I do, again, really want to talk about the corrupted. It's <laughs> yeah. a really cool thing. But I, I, I needed to ask kind of one more question. I was going back and forth as to whether this was the end question or the next question, but it feels, it feels too appropriate uh, to not ask now. You mentioned as, you know, as you were kind of talking of the power uh, uh, that your show has, you know, potentially or shows like yours Mm -hmm. or just people who are creating and putting stories out there that are not the same stories that have been shared over and over again in the space. What kind of impact do you think your show would have had had teenage or college Navarre come across it, you know, perfectly as is and just like, oh, someone else magically made this show that, oh, they shared the same name as me. And isn't that interesting, but <laughs> yeah. I'll still consume it. Is that something that you've thought about? Is it kind of a show that that you would have liked to have seen when you were growing up or would have been valuable to you? I think about a lot being almost 35 now and getting into this only a couple years ago. And I think about how cool it is that I've interviewed people who are like 22, 21 years old, who have just finished college and now are walking into this with their fresh young brains and their (laughs) non-creaky bones and all the energy in the world to stay up till 4 a.m. You know, and like, and, and just be creative and know that even if the field is very new, they're seeing actual results. Like they're being hired as freelancers. They're being like, they're designing games. You know, I talked about like wanting to be a writer my whole life. Like one of the things that really stood out to me as game design was that I got to marry writing and teach RPGs. Mm -hmm. Um, which is like two things that I love. Not only is it something that I love, but it's also in, a, in its own way made it more accessible for me to write. To have a book in somebody's home that will have my name on it. Yes. Like check that out pretty soon. <laughs> there will be a book that's published that says by Navar yep. Seek Jackson. And that is the coolest thing in the world. <laughs> and I think like as a kid, yeah, like to be able to listen to that and know that like, oh man, like here's this black guy who's like having these incredible conversations, looking at the world in a different way, and is doing a thing now that I can actually put yeah. work in as a 16, 19 year old kid and do something with it, that would have been amazing. 
the idea of a black game designer just didn't even register in my brain, right? As a younger person, I was blown away learning about Mike Pondsmith, the creator of Cyberpunk. Yep. Who had been doing that for a long time. It's not like I knew the names of the D&D designers, to be clear. But I think it's still in my in my mind, it was still like, yeah, but it's still 16 white guys like in the you know, dusty office making sexist and racist <laughs> shit. It's almost like a cliche now to talk about, but like literally representation does so much for people. It's so, it's so good and it's so important. It can't be understated how valuable that is. And I certainly would have appreciated it when I was younger. Well, speaking of marrying writing and game design to create a book with your name in it. <laughs> Clean transition. The corrupted. <laughs> you know, that's why we're the pros. Yeah, yeah. You know, is that, that, you know, this is why we get the big podcast bucks, the yeah. two of us. Very recently, in the last couple of months, you released uh, The Corrupted, yeah. which is your very cool, very flavorful, uh, very uh, dark. <laughs> it is dark. Uh, zombie Apocalypse TTRPG. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just in the last week, as of recording this, released, I think it was, it was eight days ago or something, released a stream of you running it over on the, uh, our friends over at the Nameless Domain uh, mm-hmm. Twitch channel. We'll put the link in the in the show notes, et cetera, et cetera. What was that push and drive to get you into not just writing adventures, which is, you know, kind of a version of marrying game design and writing, but is kind of different sets on this of sliders mm-hmm. than yeah. your own tabletop role-playing game that is not based on any other systems, that is its own standalone kind of vibe. What kind of pulled you that direction? Getting to meet people like Quinn, Nick Butler, who wrote Tidebreaker, and Chris Spivey, who wrote Harlem Unbound and uh, Haunted West. That was, that was huge for me. And then a bunch of other incredible creators as well. I got to meet Mark Truman, who is the president and owner of Magpie Games. I got to go to Magpie Games. Oh, cool. I got to just meet a bunch of people who were like designing micro RPGs. And so it was like all of this like building up of like, damn, like this is a real thing that could happen. And then it was like, okay, well, what are you going to do? What, 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 what are you going to do about that? Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> uh, you have these ideas. That's great. Um, and then I met Lex, who I don't think Lex is on Twitter anymore. I think they're just on Tumblr, uh, Titanomic RPG. Yeah. They created a system that would use D4s and called Caltrop Core. I interviewed them, and they were, during that interview, they had a game jam out for the system. And it was like a week left. And as we were talking, I was like, okay, I'm kind of, kind of thinking of an idea mm-hmm. now about mm-hmm. this. And so that was like my first game. I wrote a one-page RPG called yep. The Last Detective. You can still pick it up. It's, it's fun to play. It only takes a, one GM and a one player. And also a very dark game. Uh, you're solving a murder. <laughs> very graphic murder. Murder. That was like, okay, cool. I did the thing. But I, I am a person who enjoys challenging myself. And so I was like, how do I make a game now that doesn't rely on somebody else's system? There's nothing wrong with this, to be clear. And honestly, it's smarter to rely on somebody else's system that's already made and, and <laughs> tested. And marketed. Again, and, to yeah, be clear. Et cetera. Uh, yeah, has brand and all that stuff. Um, just make PPTA games. It's honestly a lot easier. <laughs> but I refused. And I was like, you know what? I really love using D20s. I was like, I want to continue that part of it. But I don't want it to be technically like an OSR game. The little that I learned about OSR, I was like, there's nothing wrong with OSR. But it's just like, that's not the vibe that I'm going for yeah. per se. I loved a lot of things about PBTA, but I also really love customization. And so I was like, okay, well, how do I, I have all these ideas, like 
cool, Navarre. You know what you love and what you don't love. That's great. <laughs> what are you going to do about this? And so mm-hmm. uh, it was like, okay, well, I want to make a game then that can use some of these ideas, something that would be like narratively focused, but also has a 20 and, and you get to roll dice. And so I was thinking about it a while. I think it was like, originally it was going to be like an alien invasion game just because I was like, I want to do an oh, apocalypse cool. game because I enjoy apocalypse media. I really do. Like listen to your, the last of us podcast. Yeah, available yeah. Now. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Escape the dark. Um, yeah. And so, and then I interviewed Indrani, uh, for episode 47, about halfway through the interview, the both of us were like, Oh yeah, we love the last of us. And we spent like 30 minutes talking about the last of us. <laughs> and I was like, there's something about the last of us. It's just so good. And obviously like the story is very well written and the narrative and all that stuff. But I was like, there's like, how do I tap into this? Because this is something that I want to do. I don't want to just keep playing the last of us over and over again, as much as I have done that already multiple times. (laughs) I want my character in this kind of world and I want them to have to interact with somebody with these difficult situations. And so I started to think about that. And Rani and I, like we talked back and forth about ideas and, slowly became what it is of just like yeah it's an apocalypse and they are zombies but they're fast it's a different way of like having it be contracted and the idea around the game is like the human conflict and what does that mean for you to live in a world where all the the pleasantries and the accoutrement of life are being taken away and you are literally trying to survive and what does that do to you as a person And what does that mean for the world? So in order to explore those ideas, uh, I had to make a system that worked. Again, I probably could have used another one. I refuse. (laughs) I do like the idea of having skills and abilities. Like I still enjoyed that idea from from Pathfinder 2E, for instance, and D&D. But I also wanted it to be like not this thing that just became like the numbers get right wild like i enjoy that in pathfinder 2e but i was like how do i make this work so i was like well what if we had set limits sort of like pbta you can either critically fail or you can critically succeed and in between that you can fail partially succeed and succeed and those variations of success determine how much of a thing happens uh, or if it doesn't happen at all and how bad it is when it really really doesn't happen (laughs) i wanted to like think about like what is it like to like have a cinematic narrative play and so like taking out turn or yeah turns and around there's still rounds but it's like well you just do what you want to do within like six to ten seconds and that's the thing right sort of like borrowing that from delta green Mm -hmm. for instance the one thing i really don't like about DD and pathfinder and even delta green to an extent, like I think Delta Green does a great job of this, but like even like when you critically fail, nothing generally happens. It's either like dealer's <laughs> choice where it's just like, uh, like whatever. But I was like, but what if like you had to deal with that? What if like you critically failed and that changed the story in a very dynamic way that could be scary? And so that's where I came up with the compromise condition. Mm-hmm. And the idea basically is like, once you're compromised, your focus now as a player is I'm not trying to necessarily kill this thing. I need to survive. So what's yeah. the best option for me to survive? Maybe it is beating the monster. It might also be getting out of dodge or or trying to. And so, um, and what does that look like to try to get out of it? And so I, and because you're playing with another person, what is that person doing to help you? Uh, because I, I wanted to also bring in that idea of like, The Last of Us is about two people on a journey together. Yeah. So when you're two people on a journey together, what does that look like when you see the other person struggling 
maybe your stress is high and you're already dealing with a ton of stuff in your conflicts. And so, but what does that look like in that moment? Do you let that get in the way of you trying to save your friend or, or what? I know as a person who has introduced many people to playing games, that role-playing is not something that many people come into naturally. Yeah. How can we prompt people to role-play? Mm-hmm. And that's where the stress and conflict came in. Yeah, I love that. As you roll bad, you accumulate more stress. And as you get more stress, then there are questions you have to answer, narrative questions. As we were getting ready to publish, I was like, this is great, but also I think it's not always going to work in combat because I think sometimes in combat, like there's too much focus for me to worry about my conflict with my friend. So then not only do you not have to do this, but you also have to have a immediate condition like falter or overcompensate or be overwhelmed. I think the stream is an incredible example of achieving that. Like there's so much bad stuff happening and you can just see me and my little GM screen, just like grinning (laughs) ear to ear of being like, yes, bring it. I love it so much. So yeah. But I think it's like that idea of like, yeah, like we've now created two characters. They can be friends, lovers, people who just met. Yep. They were in the stream. They were not particularly close. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, They knew each other, but they weren't close. Yeah. And then you have this conflict with that person. And what does that mean as it comes up, as the stress starts to build and you have to deal with it? Because I think like that's something that happens in real life, right? Like we get stressed out at home and as much as we may not want to, sometimes that comes out as an interaction with our partner, right? And it doesn't have to be like, you know, awful or terrible or whatever. Sometimes it's just like you snap at them or you don't want to talk and they want to talk in that moment or you're just annoyed, right? Like sometimes it just starts out as like, I'm just annoyed right now. And does the other person (laughs) notice that I'm annoyed right now? (laughs) Mm -hmm. What's great in those situations is like, especially when you start to get into like higher stakes and the players don't necessarily have a chance to, to rest yet. Then it's like, this really builds up. As we're getting ready for publishing, I was like, okay, there's one other thing I want to add because I don't want it to be all punishment. Uh, Yeah. You've become overwhelmed. You've hit maximum stress. What happens now? And so what I did was create survivor boons, which is, after you've become overwhelmed and you've reduced that stress a little bit, you can then take on this boon that will allow you to increase one ability uh, by two in certain situations, which then makes you a little bit better at this thing because of the trauma that you just faced. So, <laughs> you, you, you are a survivor, therefore you surviving has at least a little bit yes. of benefit. It's not just all, all toilets. <laughs> yeah. And I think like that came from like the idea of like, without going into details, like I have hypervigilance. Like I am very much constantly aware of a lot of things to make sure that I am not in danger. I don't always think of it as a bad thing. I just think of that I'm prepared. But if there are people who it is more debilitating or it it can feel like a bad thing. And, I, and so I wanted to like allow for, there. here's this thing that's going to help you survive. It sucks that we got here. But this is, in the game at least, is a yep. mechanic that is going to allow you to be a little bit better at a certain thing um, moving forward. And the players get to choose. And then if you get overwhelmed again, you can choose a different one if you want. It sounded like very early. You're like, post-apocalyptic game. That's mm-hmm. that's what I want. That's what I want to do. That's the vibe. Yeah. It was funny rereading it, re-going into it this week kind of to prepare. It is like, very specifically, is like a pathogen-based thing. And is very like, yeah, not a lot of people paid attention to it or really took it very seriously, yeah. which was just like, I just laughed to myself and cried a little bit, laughed mostly. <laughs> right, yeah. uh, but so so what kind of about that genre and about this kind of setup was so interesting to you that you just kept pulling and kept kind of adding these systems to make it capture that feeling? Like what what kind of drove you to, to keep 
you know, kind of chopping away at, at it. I think like the appeal for me is that I don't like people. And so if there's less people in the world, then it's a better place. Um, <laughs> <Great>. no. <laughs> All right, next uh, question. Yeah, next question. Um, no, but I think like there's something about it. Like I think like the best episodes of The Walking Dead are like these moments where like people are dealing with people trying to do people things in a world with it's not set up anymore for people to do people things. Yeah. If there's one thing that it does is that it, like I said, it kind of strips a lot of that away and it like, it makes you into a person. And I love the idea of like, part of why the game is called the, the corrupted, that's what the monsters are called. But it's also about like how the world corrupts the player as a narrative. I love that idea of like fighting against a world that's being destroyed around you and like trying to maintain and retain humanity um that's why the empathy is such a huge mechanic um there's six different abilities but empathy is probably arguably the the most important one in that like so much of the game revolves around you and the other player working with each other and trying to take care of each other or yourselves right so i love it when people are like yeah i didn't put any points in empathy i'm like that's amazing i love this <laughs> we need to talk about it. Yeah, yeah yeah um and so because even like having a higher number and it doesn't necessarily guarantee anything but i think it's just like this idea of like what does that mean for your character yeah and so i really love that about apocalypse media i think and i just think it's scary yeah <laughs> going back to like the horror of it, mm-hmm. it's like it's ter- especially when the zombies can run oh yeah <laughs> in the last of us there are so many it, it, across both games there are moments where the game makes you run and i as a player am like no I, yeah absolutely there's no reason i'm staying here like this running is the most natural thing my character can do right now i am spamming the sprint button <laughs> yep in the walking dead as fun as some of those episodes can be, because I think there's the show gets lost in muddy sometimes. <laughs> but I think that there's aspects of it where it's like, this would probably be the easiest apocalypse to survive, right? Like, as long as you're not, like, making really, really bad decisions, like, you could literally just keep walking and they won't catch up to you. <laughs> Don't get yourself cornered, right? But in, like, The Last of Us, in 28 Days Later, in The Corrupted, like, when they run and they can, like, break stuff down, that's scary. Yeah. Because again, like I said, I wanted it to be aliens. And I was like, this could be a whole, like, that's just a whole thing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) The body horror of it, of the way that you get infected is, it started out as a pathogen. And now it's just like this corruption will like literally try to invade your face. And that's scary. Yeah, there's some there's some art that is uh is is just it just like vaguely distressing a lot of, <laughs> yeah. of flipping through that where it's like this is like just that perfect amount of like not not intricately detailed, mm-hmm. but there's just enough there where it's like, oh great, my imagination can really <laughs> fill in a lot of fun blanks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're actually uh, in the midst of um with another group recording uh, another AP of this. And, oh, amazing. Yeah, and they've come across, they're in a, in a situation that's got a, a few unique corrupted that um, <laughs> it's really scary. Ominous. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of things that are scary, aha, <laughs> another flawless transition. Yeah. Uh, I, I was curious, uh, speaking of art and, and you know, speaking of genuinely, of doing things that are, are scary, unfamiliar, et cetera, this is, uh, you know, obviously a lot more complex of a design challenge yeah. than a Caltrap core game, which is is beautiful in its simplicity. It is supposed to be simple and easy to put together, but this has subsystems and has skills and, <laughs> and character customization. And also, you did all your own art for it, mm-hmm. I believe. I think yeah. all the art, or at least a ton of the art. Except for the new cover, yes. That's what it was. I was like, I feel like there's something I'm forgetting. That was the one. 
this, it really strikes me as this is another time where Navarre was like, I kind of want to do this thing. I have no experience doing it. I'm jumping in and I'm going to figure it out. Just like the show, just like a bunch of other stuff. And I think I think that's incredible. Yeah. But also, I know I am someone who's like, well, obviously, I, I don't. I haven't read any thesis on game design, so I can't I can't design it. I'm <laughs> yeah. not qualified to to know. I don't know the math theory of it. Uh, so just just kind of briefly, like, did you have any fear or trepidation or anxiety kind of jumping into doing a game, you know, and doing all the art for the game? So I got my art pad, my digital art pad in May of last year for my birthday. Mm-hmm. And that's about when I started The Corrupted. And I put my first version out of the game in December or November, November. So that is about six or seven months of me doing digital art, which I don't feel like I'm great at yet. I know I want to do this. Again, I am a father of three with a wife. Like I don't have a ton of money. So I was like, if I'm going to do this, I have to do this alone, basically, Mm -hmm. because I can't afford to pay somebody. And I do think that people should be paid for their work. I was like, okay, well. You're going to design the game, and then you're going to figure out how to draw this in a way that you will feel okay with it being in a book. (laughs) Okay is just the perfect, most beautiful word for any content creator. Is is this okay? Yeah. Yep. Great. Ship it. It's good enough. Yeah. That and the layout. I have never done layout. I literally learned InDesign to do this game. Yeah. The layout is being changed thankfully, because the publisher who's helping me publish this uh, has somebody that uh, we are working together to get that done. What was cool was like to turn that in and for him to be like, but you did it and it's complete. And it doesn't look bad. Like there are things that we could just improve on. And I think that that was like a really cool like accomplishment to be like, all right, I did it. Yeah. Don't underestimate how powerful that is uh, as a... (laughs) Right. You did all of these, all the things that required you being a solo act creating a game with art and subsystems you did all the thing you did it yeah so yeah so was it scary yes absolutely um but i think like i i'm fortunate in that i've been artistic my entire life even if i still would have preferred that zakia did the entire art for the game like (laughs) you know or any other number of friends that i have that are incredible artists um i just couldn't afford to do it and so i had to make that decision of like i didn't want to use stock art it's so hard to find very specific art pieces that are going to fit what you're looking for i know what i want to achieve to an extent and i can just try to like put that in there and and the book isn't like full of art i think there's like maybe six art pieces in there that i did the cover was probably the hardest. The cover was the one where I like I did it and I was like, this this is a cover. I I don't love it, but I it's the cover of a book. It is a cover. I knew immediately when I was making the game that I wanted Sakia to be my artist for the cover. Go look at any of the artwork they did for Made a Roleplay. It's <laughs> mm-hmm. it's so, so good. And I knew like mm-hmm. because this is in line sort of with the theme, like the very dark themes of Delta Green, I knew that they could hit the mark on this. After meeting Zaki, I was like, I'm going to, you will be one of the first people I ever hire when I can afford to hire them. And so we figured it out after I published the game and I used money that I got from the yeah. first run of, of publishing it on my own uh, to pay them to do a new cover and then got hooked up with, with Plus One EXP. It was sort of a kismet situation. Like I interviewed somebody and they were like, yeah, I know a person who can do this. And then 
uh, plus one exp like put out a thing of like hey we're looking for people for february to print and then i messaged I was like hey i think my friend talked to you like this <laughs> uh-huh. is the thing and then like by monday oh, i had i had the game out i was able to send it to them and uh and then we had a conversation like the few days later and then things got pushed back from february um just because of other stuff but yeah it's been an otherwise great experience to to do that and i think like it was really cool i talked with another publisher who wanted me to like if you're willing to make like these kind of changes Mm -hmm. we can talk about doing this game or something like this game in the future and i was like well i still want to do this zine publish because i one i'm happy with what we've got like from that perspective and i also want to know like how this works and so i'm glad that i'm continue to go through this experience instead of like pushing it off in the hopes that this other thing would have worked out uh which you know who knows (laughs) so the yeah right having a thing that is done and you did the thing is is always valuable anytime you make a game like there's always going to be things like hmm i wish i would have added this little thing and it's like yeah, but the players can figure it out or the gym can figure it out. Like, you know, like it's not like game breaking stuff, I don't think. I am actually very happy with the game and the people that have played it really seem to love it. And that has been amazing. I've had two different friends be like, yeah, I'm going to hack this for X, Y, and Z. And <laughs> that's like between, I think when I see the game in people's homes and when I get it in my own home, the, the, I will be crying. Uh, just know this. And then also <laughs> when my friends hack my game, that I will be crying again. You've gotten to run it live on stream and people yeah. like people are like out in public playing your game. Yes. Obviously you were a part of it and kind of running mm-hmm. it and able to curate it and and whatever, but just that there were people and especially quality people like yeah, yeah. like Kendo and Josephine uh crushing your game. But anyone playing your game kind of out in the wild, what was that what was that experience like? That was the first time I've ever GM'd on stream, first of all. I was very nervous going into it. Again, I love Joe and Kendo. We had been planning the game for a while um, and talking about it. And so that made me really comfortable going into the session. I, again, did not prep very much of this session. I know where the game, where we want to end it, or where at least I want to end uh, in our third session. But I was like, you're in a situation and we're, I'm going to see what yep. you do. Let's go. That's, I think, part of the beauty of it is like, it's the apocalypse. Like literally every decision you make is going to affect something. We had done a session zero. Basically the introduction that I do for the stream was our session zero. I left them on a cliffhanger during the session zero so we could come back in this moment. And the moment they start out in is just complete pandemonium. Uh, and they are in the middle of the outbreak happening. Okay, well, you got to mm-hmm. escape. It doesn't matter where you got to go. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like yep. we'll, we'll figure it out. I really enjoyed that idea of it it was cool to like see the chat whenever i could pay attention to it and then to go back and watch the right. pod of like people like being like oh that's a really cool mechanic or oh i love how this thing worked out it definitely helps to have incredible role players like joe and kendo um crush the game as you said like it truly right. i've never did like theatrical performance or anything like that so i don't think that like I wouldn't necessarily say that like acting is my strong suit as a teacher RPG performer, but what I am able to do, I feel, is like tap into like what is happening in this moment and yeah. how is that affecting your characters and what does that mm-hmm. look like on a surface level and on an emotional level. And so like seeing things of like Joe's trying to talk to this girl that's come along with them and Kendo's like <laughs> their character is putting the camera on and I'm like, okay, yeah, so like this is how this person's reacting to you because like you are 
you're creating a space, a wall of like indifference. You're, you know what I mean? The camera is, you're literally using a camera to document how they're feeling in this terrifying yeah. moment. I love creating tension in games. I love doing spotlighting. Like, I think that's one of my favorite things as a GM mm-hmm. to like place the camera on you. And then in this moment, now we're going to switch. We get to see all these different angles. And so when they got, when they split up, that was like, thank you so much for splitting yeah. the party. I, <laughs> I love it. Mm-hmm. I don't care what game you're playing. Split the party. It's fun. It's good for yeah. the narrative. Oh, absolutely. Do it. 100%. It was just incredible. Again, there's, it's the fortunate part where it's like, I have 400 more questions and things I that I want to talk about, <laughs> but I should probably not take up too much more of your time. So the last question that I really wanted to ask you about, because we've talked a little bit about kind of reflecting on all the stuff you've made and kind of how it has shaped you and how you are kind of able to reflect on the impact that, that your stuff has had, that, you know, kind of the platform you're sharing and giving to others. What are your kind of hopes and dreams in this space? What direction are you hoping that things go for you? Uh, yeah, this is tough. So I, <laughs> uh-huh. I posed a question like this to my friends in discord. It's kind of like FMK, right? So yeah, yeah, totally. game designer, GM, or player you get to do one. You get to do one for the rest of your life and get paid for it. And then you never get to do one again. For me, like being a game designer would be the one thing that I think would be, I would love to do this again. Do forever. Yeah. Get paid. Like you know, run my own business, that kind of thing. Again, it really taps into a lot of my passions. I'm not that performer that people are trying to like bring onto their shows. I I love it. I continue. I still want to do that, to be clear. <laughs> Invite Navarre on your shows, et cetera. Yeah, please do. Yeah, please. <laughs> Nothing so far has tapped into my creativity the way that game design has. I want to just do that forever. Like, I think it's so much fun. I just enjoy like problem solving and puzzle solving and looking at systems and figuring out how do we make this work. And like, you know, we're talking about like the creation of the corrupted, like all of these things that I did, every choice I made created a new choice that had to like, what is the resolution for this? And bring it back to the logic, like you said. I think I'll continue to build stuff off of the protagonist system, the system that the corrupted uses that I made. But I think there will be other times where I'm like, I want to try a new set of dice. Even if you're just changing the dynamic of like, I'm taking stress and conflict out and I'm putting two different coexisting things in there, right? Like that's, how does that now work for this situation? Or it's not an apocalypse anymore. What does that look like? That said, I do love GMing and I do love being a player. And along with that, I really love the idea of like playing a long story where I get to really explore a character or characters through the lens of like their lifetime in a long campaign. It would be amazing, obviously, if an unwavering force blew up and we could just like go full world beyond number and, you know, have like some amazing sound designer doing all this work and not me and Dusty (laughs) doing all this work. (laughs) I think it would be amazing and cool, but I think I expect that much less than I expect, like that I can work my ass off into becoming a respected and people want to buy my games game designer. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Well, and yeah, I would love to talk real quick about Unwavering Force as well. Yeah. First episode out now. Yeah. The preview, the little short thing that you did, the prequel that talks about how your character came to be, where they're L- at right little, now. little teaser, yeah. <laughs> the teaser, yeah. precisely. I was so uh, super excited to see that you were, that like, because this got announced last year, I think, like. Yeah, 
I want to say it was like August or October. That's what I thought as yeah. well. But was so excited. It's got a crazy good cast, but it's also like, aha, Navarre's there. That's <laughs> yeah. very cool. Yeah. You are mostly, you know, doing interview stuff, doing game design stuff. It's like, aha, and now also actual play stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Were you looking for opportunities to do it? Because you're not, you're not the, the, you're not the one running it, correct? Yeah. So back in May, I had a hit tweet, flips my non-existent <laughs> hair, um, where, where I said, uh, this is like right after the first episode of Obi-Wan Kenobi came out. And I was like, I really want to play in a campaign where everyone's a Padawan escaping Order 66. And a lot of people interact with it and they're like, fuck, this would be so cool. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> but I don't have time. So Right. Yeah. It, it would be cool if someone else had time to do it and, and energy and whatever. Yeah, this is one of my dreams. It's just going to be a dream. Just chatting with friends in a Discord. It was like a thing that just kept coming up. And I was like, like this is the thing I really want to do. And then Dusty's like, look, I'll run this. <laughs> and I was like, well. okay, but who's going to play? <laughs> so we started talking about like who was going to play. Often it's like the idea was I wanted it to be however many Padawans all playing together. Um, not everybody is a Padawan, to be clear, uh, which is fine. Like I'm not a person like I need to control the whole thing. Um, there's a little bit bit of my heart that's broken <laughs> that not everybody wanted to do this that didn't have the perfect crystallized vision from from the from the jump yeah right yeah what actually ended up happening was really cool is because we had our cast come in and everybody was like well this is how i want to do it and the whole cast has their own way of interacting with the force and so i think that was a lot of fun to be like yeah this isn't the story that i initially dreamed up right but it's better because it's now a story about yeah. what does that look like? So many people who are quote unquote Star Wars fans seem to have forgotten like what Star Wars has meant and how like <laughs> it was already a little diverse and already a little political back in the day. And so we were like, okay, well, now that we have a, a cast that's all POC, like what does that mean? One, for us to play characters who exist in a world with our experiences and two, to play characters who all exist around the magic of the world with different experiences. Yeah. Which I don't think this is necessarily a spoiler anymore just because of the trailers that we've had out. But like Lonzo, who is a person that prior to the game, I hadn't actually talked to. We were just like, he responded to my original Order 66 uh, tweet. And <laughs> we are just both like wanted to talk to each other and had it yet. And we hadn't been able to play with each other. And so we were like, well, let's get one more person. And I was like, well, I think we should talk to Lonzo because Lonzo wants to do this. I'm excited to play with Lonzo. Um, and as we were like getting ready, Lonzo was like, well, what if, does anybody want to be my sibling? And I was like, yes, immediately. Yes, let's do this. <laughs> um, and so now we have this dynamic in the game of like two twins who are from a similar world. And like, what does that mean after like this, some time has passed and they've been separated? There's like the one aspect of it, which is like a very serious, like dramatic Star Wars story. And then there's another aspect of it that's like, we are doing ridiculous goofballs, <laughs> other Star Wars stuff. Mm -hmm. It's all part of the same Star Wars, ultimately. <laughs> it is, yes, yes. And, and the same AP in this case. Right, yeah. You talked a lot about how before kind of jumping in into the space officially, mm -hmm. blah, yeah. was, you know, you were still, you were getting to play, but it wasn't that kind of like, wasn't scratching that role play, heavy drama kind right. of itch. Yeah. Are you feeling that this is doing it for you? Yeah. With our home game, it's just like, it's a different, it is a different style of play. Sure. And I think like, as I got to like experience more of APs and more people who like really play these like dramatic games, like again, like 
Transplanter is my favorite show. Like, yep. I want to push myself as a performer to that same level. And I've gotten to do like a few one shots that have been a lot of fun and, and do that. But I think like there's nothing like having that one character that's yours that you know you're going to return to week after week and and just build on. One of the things I really love with characters is we talked a lot about like autism and how that has like sort of come up in my life and now become like mm-hmm. something that I'm aware of. And I think like one of the things throughout my life that I've always done, like many people, is like masking and filtering a lot of what I say. And so I really enjoy as a character knowing that I can just take the filter off <laughs> and just be like, yeah. I'm. So not only am I a a Jedi who already has their own <laughs> mm-hmm. social issues, I'm also an autistic Jedi. And that has been fun in moments to like, to, you know, get to look at and get to like role play those moments out. It's been really cool to do that and to come back to this character and to sort of flex those role playing chops that I've been wanting to flex for a long time. How far out, if you guys, if you don't mind me asking, how far out are you guys kind of recorded as of as of this conversation right now? <laughs> I think there's six episodes. There was a lot of like pre-production awesome. stuff. Sure, we're doing Q and A Q&A. as of this recording. It would be too late, but um, but yeah, we're doing a Q and A this week to talk about the characters and stuff. Oh, cool. Yeah, and then they'll be out every other week, I believe. Is how we're going to start, just to give ourselves some time. Just because schedules and choice. yeah, we're, so much <laughs> stuff. Like Aki's doing artwork for it. We have a team of editors because I'm doing the first pass, and then Dusty's going in and adding music and sound effects, and so yeah, it's it's a lot. But good for you guys. That that all of the things that you're saying are like all checking boxes of like what are the things that when people ask Nathan of like ah oh, I don't know how how do you make you know launch a podcast is like well have multiple people doing things yeah. have you know have a backlog have <laughs> do shit in advance yeah right do shit in advance and plan ahead as to how much you think you can actually do and then maybe back off even further from yeah, that so that sure. all sounds very reasonable <laughs> it'll be out uh, you mm-hmm. know obviously by the time this is dropped uh, so people can you know immediately if they have not already as yeah. we advised stop <laughs> the interview to go to go listen before finishing this if yeah. they 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 can jump right in but what is kind of the the pitch, the crux, the vibe of of this this story that you guys are telling? So basically, it's six months after the events of Order sixty six have happened, and we are five people coming together from sort of different backgrounds and being forced together in the, into this situation because we all use the force differently. What does that look like in our interactions, and how we as players understand yeah. the force or don't understand the force? Very much a story of like found family, but there is already this built-in conflict, as you'll see when you when you start to listen to it. What does it mean to live in a world where you are being hunted down because you're different? What does it mean to live in a world where people can interact with the same thing in a different way? And how do we as players sort of deal with this world that is like the Empire, that's very much just fascism and and sort of scary in the the way that they can um, hunt you down and track you down and do all this stuff without anybody else like doing anything against them. For me, playing a character who's like had his whole life planned for him. Yeah. And then all of that taken away. Yeah. And being like one of the very few survivors of, of a very catastrophic event and then being hit with this other emotional barrage of other things happening in his life. So <laughs> Dusty is a brilliant uh, GM who has thrown a lot of different 
things at us. Um, we have guest people come on to do like different voices. Awesome. It's so cool that people have done it. Um, it also sends all of us into a panic every time it happens <laughs> because we're just like, we yep. don't know until it's there and we're listening to it during the recording. We're like, oh my God, yeah, right. I can't yep. believe you lent your voices. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, so it's it's been a lot of fun. The biggest thing for us is, you know, being able to tell this story as an all PLC cast in a world that recently has not been very kind to POCs, I think is something that we really wanted to sort of tackle in our own way, as well as have a story about Star Wars through a different lens. And you guys are, are, are playing Pathfinder, is that correct? We are using, yeah, Pathfinder 2E with yeah, some 2E. mods. So yeah, <laughs> obviously, because not all things work. So like we've, uh, Dusty, like designed how the lightsabers work. We stylize many of our spells as force spells. Yep. One of the really cool things is that we are all dual classed, which is a thing you can do with Pathfinder 2E, where mm-hmm. I am a fourth level now where I'm at, uh, a fourth level ranger and a fourth level psychic at the same time, um, which it's so ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> it's so absurd. Um, but yeah, so what that means is that like I have all the spells, but I'm also good at fighting. The psychic class in Pathfinder 2E, yeah, it's right. like they built it to be like, you, this is you playing a Jedi. Uh, yeah, it's, it's at least Jedi adjacent. It's, yes, so yeah. especially the spells. So it's like I can do a lot of yep. like the push-pull, yeah. throw stuff, that kind of thing. And some mind manipulation stuff as well. I am super psyched to hear yeah. it. You're wearing a Star uh, Wars shirt, I saw. So yes. I know. I, I did it. I did it. I wasn't going to point it out specifically, but it was for this. It was yeah, like, awesome. what am I, what comfy thing I'm going to wear? Ah, yes. <laughs> this is what I'm going to do. Yes. I am, yeah, super excited to listen to when it comes out. And is, is just, are you doing just uh, one episode drop for week one? There will be two, two episodes. Okay. Yeah. You heard it you heard it here, everyone. Go check out the first two episodes. <laughs> you heard it here first after you've already seen it on the feed. <laughs> yeah. Well, after you have paused and returned, <laughs> paused and you have returned, confirmed yes. now at the end of the interview that you did indeed listen to the two episodes <laughs> of <laughs> of Unwavering Force uh, that were released in the first Yeah. Exactly. I want to talk for for four more hours. Yes. But I sh- we should not, we should not <laughs> for a lot of reasons, uh, for life reasons mostly. Yeah. But we're not we're not done, Navar. It's not time to end the interview. We still have the hardest part of the Literally interview. Literally, the hardest part: <laughs> the lightning round. Yes. Now these are the same questions I give to everyone. And I give everyone the same kind of missives. There are no wrong answers other than, I guess, like if you lied, but mm-hmm. just this because yeah. that's a lame answer more than a wrong answer. Yeah. Uh, but there you can answer it with one word. You can answer with a five minute long spiel. <laughs> you can just pause, think and say, I don't really have a good answer for that. And all are accepted. All are lovely. I will question none of it unless you say something fucking wild and is like well hold on you can't just drop that i will ask about that uh but there is it is a judgment free zone whatever is right whatever comes to mind is reasonable and if you need a moment to pause and consider feel free to take it okay are you ready for the lightning round of our sure yeah (laughs) this has caused me no end of anxiety but yeah go ahead (laughs) i i understand and i apologize but not enough to not do it yeah for sure Question one, is your glass half full or half empty? The short answer is I'm cynical. And again, as we talked about earlier, very logical. So if I filled the (laughs) glass all the way up and drank it, it would be half empty because I've emptied half of it. Hmm. If, however, I needed to like take a pill or something uh, like medicine, don't be weird people. And (laughs) I would then fill the cup up 
halfway to drink it, right? <laughs> and that at that point it would be half full. But I would never fill it beyond half full and then and then empty it and call it half full still because it's now been emptied. What excites you creatively, spiritually, and or emotionally? Tension. Horror. Uh, post-apocalyptic stuff. Um, I think the, corrupted. Yeah, corrupted. I think the real answer is is still like that tension in media. I think is amazing. Yeah, and then I think just in the general life uh, representation. I think both as a person, as a parent, um, mm-hmm. as a somebody who wants to see the world be better especially when it comes to like my kids, like having representation from a ton of different places is really exciting for me, uh, for them to see it, for me to go like, look, you can watch this, watch sea beast. Like this little girl looks like you. I also get very excited for representation that has nothing to do with me. Like Miss Marvel. Uh, I am neither Daisy or a uh, woman. And I'm still like, I'm so excited <laughs> for what that show means for other people. Mm-hmm. So. What does not excite you creatively, spiritually, and or emotionally? This one's tough because it's like th- the realest answer is like just things that are so boring. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I think like if I had to break it down, it would probably be sort of like the antithesis of that, like something that mm-hmm. lacks representation, especially now. Just I just don't even – I generally don't even want to give it a chance. Like I, I, I watched – Recently, I for the first time, The Hunger Games, the last two movies, I had never seen The Mockingjay Part 1 and 2 up until a few weeks ago. And by the end of the movie, it's just – it's it's so white. And I'm like, <laughs> I just don't care anymore. I don't, <laughs> it's hard to say it like – without like just say literally like things that I just find boring. But like things that like don't have like a very good narrative, mm-hmm. things that don't really push any sort of like creative boundaries, that kind of stuff. Absolutely. What is your favorite sound? Cello. Double bass in metal. Good one. The certain like vocal resonance timbre that some people have in their voices. A lot of voices, actually. I really love. Jennifer Hudson's voice singing. Mm. That's my favorite sound. <laughs> uh, yeah, those are a few. I have a lot of favorite sounds. I, I love sound. So, What sound do you hate? So many. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) As many favorites. I have equal equal numbers that I hate. Yeah. Again, I remember Connie saying something similar, like the obvious, like metal against metal is fucking awful. (laughs) I talked about this recently, but like sibilance, which is like the sound that we have, like when it hits a higher frequency and editing that out is the worst thing in the world for me. (laughs) Not because I don't want it out. It's because I have to listen to it to get it out. And, and then I notice it even when I've done as much as I can as an yep. editor, there are certain like higher pitch, uh, things that I just can't do, um, because mm-hmm. my ears are sensitive and I don't like it. What is your favorite word? I don't know. I thought of a lot about this one and I th- feel like there's a word that I enjoy, which is cacophony, which is funny because Ooh, I don't like a cacophony right. of sounds, <laughs> but the word cacophony is fun to say. It's a good word. Yes. What is your least favorite word? It's sort of a non-word, but irregardless, because that's not the way you say that. (laughs) And supposedly, because that's also not the way you say that. (laughs) Like, I think like I've been trained to hate the word moist, but I don't, 
like I don't care. Like it's yeah, it doesn't do word. much for me. It just I just think of like you know a rainforest or whatever. Like, yeah, it just sponge, like it's fine. Whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that one doesn't really bother me. But like, yeah, for sure, uh, those non words because I care so much about English. Yeah, the words that are not words. Yeah. <laughs> what TTRPG monster and monster being whatever, however, an antagonistic thing with a stat block? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Have you not faced or run that you would love to? I really would love to get to a point in game where I could face down like a god or some kind of. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. Or like a demon lord or something like that. Like, I think that would be just dope. Yes. <laughs> the other one is specifically the Pathfinder's version of the Cyclops that can just give itself a natural 20. Um, yes. I just think that's so cool. Yes. And fighting like giant things. Like, I love, like, as a GM, like describing scale. And like I think about all the time, like as I'm like, that house is like 40 feet high. Like that's literally the size of a giant. Yeah. Or smaller than the size of a giant. And I yes. think that that's a lot of fun to like imagine fighting. I was literally just doing that last night, just walking <laughs> around, like looking up and been like, ah, oh, 25 foot creature. That's pretty, that's that's quite a bit. It's pretty big. <laughs> that's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> that's so much. Yeah. So yeah, those would be two things. What is your favorite adventure of all time? And again, it can be one you've written, could be a tabletop one, could even be uh, 1999's classic, The Mummy. It could be one you watched, one you've played Mm. in. Whatever your favorite adventure is, what is it? Mm. Okay. I was thinking specifically of TTRPG adventures, which I haven't played a ton of, but I I just want to shout out the Strength of Thousands Adventure Path for Pathfinder 2E, which was written by um, all black writers and in the Moe Expanse. And it's we're playing through it in our home game. Oh, cool. Basically, it's magical school without all the problematic bull stuff. <laughs> the good, the, a good version of it. Yeah. Yes. One of, yeah, the good, yeah. one of the good magical schools. Yeah. It, like it focuses not only on like you learning as a student, but also you doing stuff for your community. And I think that that's yeah. fucking so rad. I really enjoyed the first Dragon Age. I still feel like that's my favorite Dragon Age mm-hmm. story. I'm one of those people who does not like the second Dragon Age. <laughs> to me, it seems obvious, like, why would anybody like it? But there, I have a lot of friends who are like, no, Dragon Age 2 is the best one. And I'm like, if you say so, I, I don't want to argue about this. I love you. And the Mass Effect series. Yeah. I haven't played Andromeda, but the, specifically the first three, especially the first one, like that was massive, massive. Changed my brain about sci-fi for a while. Um, mm-hmm when I first played that, so. What is your favorite tabletop role-playing game character of all time? And again, it could be one that you played. It can be an NPC. It could be one of an AP you watched, whatever that means to you. Honestly, probably Honor, who is my character for An Unwavering Force, mm-hmm. just because I get to spend so much time with him and build him into this like really badass kid. If not him, I created an NPC ranger for my first Pathfinder 2e game that I GM'd, uh, and his name was Asim, and he was fucking so cool. He had an <laughs> owl, animal companion. And then I really loved the character I made for when I got to guest on Transplaner um, for the Shoot Your One Shot. Obi was his name, and he was he was awesome. He was a, That was the first time I got to play an investigator, I believe. Yeah. Or whatever it's called in d and I don't, I don't yeah, Right. D&D, One of those. So, yeah. Final question. What gives you hope? What gives me hope? This is also tough too. I'll say this. I think what gives me hope is that there are so many young people, despite like the our the world that we live in today, without getting too political, is 
awful in so many ways sometimes. You can get as political as you want to. <laughs> the world sucks a little bit or a lot of it. But I think what I am finding hope in is that there are so many young people who mm-hmm. are growing up who at a younger age are able to know themselves a little bit better yeah. and accept themselves a little bit better and have people around them who also know and accept them. And I think that that's important because when we grow up repressing things about ourselves or living in a way that is masked or code switched or just like doing everything we can to survive, we don't get to realize a lot of really wonderful things about ourselves and how wonderful we are. And so I think that seeing more people who are younger, who are doing this gives me hope so that not everybody has to be 30 years old before you get to live your best (laughs) life. Yep. Absolutely. So I think that's important. Well, Navar, congratulations. You can finally take that breath that you've been holding in for the two hours that we've been talking. (laughs) You have made it through the Reckless A Talk gauntlet. Thank you so very deeply and dearly for being here. As a reward, could you please once again remind everyone who you are, where they can find you, how to support you, all the good stuff. Yeah. Thank you for having me on. Uh, This has been an absolute blast. Secret Nerd Podcast, that's the first big thing that I did. Uh, You can find me on Twitter there very quietly right now at Secret NRD Social (laughs) Um, and Secret Nerd Podcast wherever you pod. You can also listen to me on No Direction, which is, again, a Pathfinder 2E uh, news reviews and interviews podcast. We just talked about Impossible Lands, which is a sort of South Asian-inspired section of Galarian, which is the world that Pathfinder 2E is set in. Um, and not only did we review one book, but we also talked to uh, one of the writers for a section that they wrote, and it was a lot of fun to do. And we're talking about Treasure Vault, which is basically a big mm-hmm. book of magical items and other fun (laughs) things to do in your game. So if you want to hear me and Esther go off on all these creative ideas of how we can implement this stuff in our games, uh, check that out. Um, That'll probably be out the time that this interview's out. Excellent. Um, You can also listen to me on Escape the Dark uh, with my incredible co-host Indrani. Basically, it's just two best friends hanging out, having a great time talking about media that we love and about the tears that we had as we watched and now (laughs) we'll be playing again for the third time, uh, The Last of Us, uh, part one. And then again, on An Unwavering Force, where you can watch me or listen to me um, play a just a lovely, lovely, sad Jedi boy um, <laughs> who's going through it uh, after basically what feels like him as an apocalypse of its own. So by the time that this comes out, I think we'll have artwork. Go look at it. Ooh. Honor oh, yes. is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. <laughs> All of the characters are ridiculous. But like, obviously, he has a special place in my heart because uh, it's my character. And um, Aki is an incredible artist. Yes, so, correct. Yeah. So check it all out. Uh, what else? Oh, the corrupted. Yeah, um, go check that out too. <laughs> you just do too many things to remember, Navar. That's the issue. How did I become <laughs> on four podcasts? Um, so just keep an eye out for Plus One EXP for their uh, announcements on the physical release. I think there will be a yes. pretty decent ordering window uh, for you to pick that up if you would like to get a physical slash digital copy of that. Um, if you're listening to this much later in the future, you can still pick up the digital copy on my itch page at Snavar, SNP, like Stephen or podcast, uh, dot itch.io. Um, it'll be up there in the latest version 
once that latest version is published. And yeah, and check it out. Play with your friends. It's a great for one-shots, for uh, short series games, or for those long, long campaigns if you want to just survive as long as you can in a world that's uh, destroying itself and being eaten by terrifying monsters. In the future, I have some really fun ideas for other games that are, that will be coming out soon. Um, one of them, for sure, in like a Descendant of the Queen style uh, game. So, Ooh. yeah. Oh, Stay tuned. Oh, interesting. <laughs> well, Navar, thank you so much again for yeah, being here. You. It was so much fun and uh, really appreciate it. It was lovely talking to you. Yeah, you too. I appreciate it. Bye. Thank you. Bye.